Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how are you this week? Well, I was doing okay until today and then I'm doing a lot better because our friends over at the Babylon Bee, we've talked about them on the podcast, they've reached a new level. Okay. Snopes has had to disprove one of their satire pieces because people thought it was so real. No way. I had not seen that. Yes. So they had to clarify the Babylon Bee's post on uh, water slides at Stephen Furtick's church, Elevation Church. Okay. I did see that post. I did not know that Snopes got involved. People thought it was real, and Snopes had to go in and put up a post on their site, which Snopes is, uh, for many of you that don't know, they're like the the people that debunk all the urban myths or confirm Uh, urban legends. I I find Snopes very helpful. So... They, the Babylon Bee has now gotten to the level where Snopes is having to fact check people for them because people think it's real. So I, I thought that was fantastic. That just kind of made my day. And uh, I thought that was, that was fun because we've talked about them here on the podcast before. And I, I just thought that was a funny, funny story. That's pretty fantastic. Um, I'm not sure. The fact that everyone thought that was real, I don't know what that says about Babylon Bee or. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or Elevation Church. We'll just go. Uh, we'll just yeah, go with that's a that's a good point. The fact that they're having to, you know, that's one of those. Maybe they hit too close to home. So <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I found it fascinating. So uh, check that out. We'll link to that. I'll put that in the the show notes or something, and you can check out the uh, the Snopes article on the fact that no Elevation Church does not have a water slide. Fascinating. Yet. <laughs> yes. All right. Well. Anyway, let's jump into the podcast here. We do want to thank our sponsor. We've got a new sponsor this month. The Nine Marks at Southeastern Conference equips church leaders with a biblical vision and practical resources for displaying God's glory to the nation through healthy churches. This two-day conference is held on the campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and is open to the general public pastors and their staff. This year's Nine Marks at Southeastern Conference will be held on September 30th and October 1st, 2016. That's next month. And you can register online at 9MARKSSE.org. All the links and information for that are at SBC This Week. So uh, check out our sponsor, Nine Marks at Southeastern, uh, the upcoming conference next month. Yep, we're very excited about it. So I, you know, y'all hosted these for quite a while. I mean, they, this has been an ongoing partnership uh, with Nine Marks and Southeastern, and you're working your way through the Nine Marks, aren't you? Yes, this is number eight. Oh, so the, the penultimate mark, I guess. That's right. So That's you only right. have one more year of this partnership. Y'all got to either add a 10th mark or <laughs> find somebody else. Well, we're not the ones that add any marks. Oh, so. yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, so talk to Dever, and he can that's add. That's right. He can add a that's mark. That's right. That's right. Maybe, maybe Driscoll will be available then, and he can add him. No comment. No. That, not, not that kind of mark. All right. Well, uh, thanks again to the Nine Marks and Southeastern sponsoring the podcast this month. Check out all the information at ninemarkssee.org. All right, let's jump into this podcast this week. Amy, big news coming out of WMU last Saturday morning. Uh, we were on that one right away, and uh, I had a post actually ready to go because uh, Sandy Wisdom Martin has been named the new WMU Executive Director. Yes, uh, following Wanda Lee, and uh, so there was a nationwide search. Uh, Wanda Lee announced her retirement in January. Several of us who were at the Southern Baptist Convention saw her honored there, but knew that they were looking for her replacement, and this is the announcement. Uh, I'm assuming you you maybe know a few more details about this, Jonathan, with your connections at the WMU. I do, and Sandy is pretty much the was pretty much the prohibitive favorite for 
uh, this job. So this was not a surprise. I had the post ready to go because I, I think we, I, I didn't have any inside information on this one, but this was just one of those, it, this has got to be who they hire because it was pretty obvious uh, that she would be the, the right person for the job. And uh, we mentioned that in the post that we released, uh, but a little bit more about her. She's been at the Texas WMU, uh, which she went to in late 2010. So she's been there about five years before that. She was in Illinois, ran the Illinois WMU for about 10 years. And then prior to that was at the Arkansas State Baptist Convention. So she has spent a career of ministry, 25 years actually, in uh, WMU and CP work around uh, state conventions. And now she'll move on to the national office. Moving to the National WMU will be a little bit of different uh, type of work for Sandy. Uh, she's been in the uh, CP world, you know, events, training, those kind of things. Not really right. as much of that is done on the national level. It's more of a publishing house. So I'm sure she's excited about the challenge. And uh, WMU, you know, they're looking for new revenue models. Uh, the revenue has declined. We mentioned that in our post uh, about 50% over the last uh, 15, 20 years. Um, from an all-time high of like 14.8 in 1999 to just around 7.2 million last year. So we'll have uh, final numbers of that later in the year whenever the annual comes out. But WMU, they, you know, looking for some new revenue sources. And Sandy hopefully has uh, the ideas, and I'm sure that's something that the search committee sought out and asked her. So it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if there's any major changes at WMU coming forward. All right. Well, thanks for that, Jonathan. And uh, we'll definitely be looking forward to the days ahead for WMU. So it is the beginning of August, which means... CP. CP. And what are we? 5.28% above the year-to-date projection. Yep. So we keep on rolling. That's, again, 5.28% above the year-to-date projection and 2.99% above contributions during the same time frame last year. And also, to put that into perspective, last year at this time, it was 1.4% above the year-to-date budget projection. So we are even further above what we were last year. That margin was a lot smaller last year, about three or four times that this year. Right. So this is a, a, a trend we're continuing to see. Uh, I mean, I can't even remember how many months it's been now that it's the beginning of the month and we say it and it's, uh, it's always five or a little bit more uh, than that, but we hope that continues. We're coming up on the end of the fiscal year. And as far as we are ahead of the budget projections, I feel pretty good that we will be above that again even more than we were last year because, uh, you know, we talked about how that margin is even greater than it was last year. So uh, feeling pretty good about that and uh, the CP giving. So uh, we continue to see CP giving rising, uh, getting back to those levels that it has been in the past. And also we're, we're seeing that those splits change. I mentioned the one in Ohio last month, and those also help out. Uh, but the giving is just up. So that, that's, a, that's a good thing all around for right. the SBC. Yep. Very, very good. So we continue to see positive movement. Let's turn to a story in Alabama that probably a lot of people have heard uh, in in the last several days. And uh, it it had gotten some traction in some local media in Alabama and then uh, on some blog discussions. And then uh, Baptist Press uh, published a story on it this uh, middle of this week that uh, we're, we're going to share with you today, but kind of a difficult situation in the Butler, Alabama area. There's a lot of speculation in the story, not in the Baptist Press story, but just in the, the circumstances around it, because nobody has really come out and said exactly the reasons for termination. They've alleged that it was for uh, not visiting enough or not working with the deacons. Jonathan Greer, pastor, is 26 years old, a graduate of Blue Mountain College up in uh, the North Mississippi 
area. He's a pastor there, been there 18 months, and uh, he says he was fired for inviting African-American children to the VBS and got pushed back from that. And as a result of inviting uh, black children to VBS, he was fired. The deacons and those in the church say that it was for other reasons. Um, and there's a the quote from Terry Long, the director of missions from the Choctaw Baptist Association, stated and told BP that racism probably played the most significant role of any factor in Greer's termination, but other factors came into play as well. He's also quoted that the Greer sermon on Sunday, which was kind of the the, the ultimate ending of the uh, the relationship there between the pastor and the church, said it was biblically truthful and accurate, uh, but added that the pastor came out swinging. Said at the beginning of the sermon, it was it seemed a little overbearing to him and a little harsh. But he also softened it midway through the sermon and just got a description, basically told him what Scripture said about racism and called him to repentance. And then later that night, uh, he was uh, terminated as pastor of the church. This caught the attention of a local news station in Meridian, Mississippi, which is right across the Alabama line from uh, Butler, Alabama. And that's kind of where it blew up on Monday. You and I got a text about it on Monday morning or Monday afternoon. Right. So as we found out more about this during the week, we kept getting more and more details. Still really unsure about precise reasons. Uh, but one thing we do know for sure is that there is no place for racism in any church in the SBC, regardless of if it's this one or if it's another church uh, anywhere in the SBC. It's sad to see the SBC being linked again to an episode like this. Yeah, uh, it is. And, and we we sometimes see tough uh, discussions. It does look like the pastor is... He's gotten a lot of support. He's taking some time with his family. He's looking for a pastorate. And it looks like the DOM is trying to step up and take some leadership in the situation there. So, yeah, just keep an eye on the story. Recognize that this is a really difficult situation. Another story uh, that I've, I've seen and we, we saw and heard about on social media but just didn't have any concrete information about uh, was one from Alaska, Jimmy Stewart, who is the state evangelism director for the State Baptist Convention of Alaska, uh, had suffered third-degree burns over 80% of his body in a gas explosion late last month up in Alaska. And just just great that he made it through that. He's already had four surgeries, Amy, in, in just a couple of weeks since the thing. And they're expecting him to stay in the hospital at least six months more uh, to rehab and everything to recover from these serious burns. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine, and, and I know he's got a huge road ahead. I, I'm like you, I, heard, I saw some things on social media, people that I had connections with who knew him, uh, and they speak so highly of him. I think he's a man that's made a great impact in the state of Alaska and uh, obviously has a, a, a really different year now than he had anticipated and planned, but it does seem like great news initially uh, just coming out of this. Yes, and we have a few people at Lifeway that I work with that has, have done mission trips or even spent you know, journeyman missions up there in Alaska, knew him well, uh, so I know they were very concerned. And it, it is good to see that it looks like he will recover from this. There hasn't been the, the story mentions that there hasn't been any infections, there hasn't been any right. brain damage, lung damage, anything like that. It, it seems to be surface level damage, serious. Uh, right, damage, very serious. But, yeah, but recoverable. Right. And, and one thing that the story also mentions, uh, we just encourage you to, to check the link in the show notes, is uh, there is a, a place where donations can be mailed, the Alaska Baptist Foundation, and then also um, encouraging that cards and letters of encouragement be mailed to him. So, you know, keep in mind that uh, this is a, a person who, as Jonathan just said, is going to 
be doing this rehab for the next six months is not going to be home. Uh, really difficult. So I would imagine any kind of encouragement, even from those of us who don't know him, are still going to make a difference. So there's an address in there for that as well. We would uh, we would certainly encourage that. Before we get to some library research that was released this week, Amy, there's one more thing. We talked about this a while back when uh, a couple of the colleges had been either suspended or uh, asked to leave the uh, the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. Uh, we mentioned mm-hmm. that this past yeah. uh, best, earlier this year. Uh, due to some of the fallout of the Obergefell decision. And uh, they have met and they are considering uh, membership requirements now and uh, based on same-sex marriage hiring practices. I think we knew when all of that fallout was happening that some, they were going to have to land somewhere on this, that uh, it, it wasn't spelled out, but obviously, uh, obviously they were reaching a point to say we can't just walk the fence. Uh, on this anymore. And so this is not really a surprise. Yeah, the uh, board said the process uh, last year revealed a lack of clarity, purpose, and common understanding uh, within the groups in the CCCU. If you remember, it was Eastern Mennonite University and Goshen College who had announced uh, new hiring policies to include non-celibate homosexual faculty and staff. And uh, eventually they withdrew in September. That was something we talked about here on the podcast last year. And uh, so it, it, you kind of knew, like you said, that there was going to be some kind of addressing of this at the, the board meeting this year. Yeah, a couple of things in this story that I didn't know. I didn't know that Cedarville uh, University had withdrawn, Shorter University withdrawn. So we, we knew about some of the other ones. But this has definitely been a sort of a moment of consideration for the CCCU about where they're going to land on this issue. Uh, so definitely, uh, definitely an important development. All right, now let's move on to some uh, new life of research came out this week about politics and God uh, and which people talk more about uh, with their friends. And when asked, which are you more comfortable talking about with others, 59% of Americans said my political views versus 41% of their spiritual views. So people are more comfortable talking about politics than they are talking about God. Uh, yes, uh, which is very interesting. And uh, I, part of me wonders, I mean, I, I'm sure that part of that has to do with the the time because a lot of people are talking about politics now. Uh, but it says also that most say they aren't interested in having any more spiritual conversations. They also draw a contrast that evangelical Christians prefer talking about God over politics by uh, a two-to-one margin. So it is interesting, though, that it's 59 to 41 percent. So that doesn't mean that Americans don't want to talk about their spiritual views at all. Uh, It's still 41 percent is still a a fairly high number, particularly when we're thinking of reaching out uh, to non-Christians. But they are more comfortable talking about politics. I I saw one of the numbers in here that there was a Two-thirds of Americans said they had at least three conversations about politics in the last month, and 8% mm-hmm. had no conversations about politics. I want to hang out with those 8%. That sounds really lovely. Yes. I wonder what they do. I wonder Maybe where they, they are. Just... If you're one of the 8%, please let us know. We'd love to hang Maybe they out. they go bird watching, play tennis. They're what? ornithologists, Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, just do things that aren't, because it's pretty hard right now to not talk about it. Yes. So there was another question in the survey, and it, it asked, how concerned are you about people in your neighborhood who have different spiritual beliefs than you. 70% said not concerned at all. That's fascinating. Now that's among Americans. 
Yes. Yeah, it, it really does. That's among Americans. Yeah, okay. So uh, you would have to believe that the uh, that breakdown would be a little bit different among evangelicals. I would hope it would be a lot different among evangelicals. Sure. I mean, it says in here that about half of churchgoers say their church treats sharing the gospel as extremely urgent or urgent. So I, I'm going to imagine that uh, that it would be different among evangelicals. But it, it does just show that overall that's a very high number, that 70% are not uh, not concerned at all. It also talked about uh, sharing spiritual beliefs on social media. That uh, again, this is among Americans. They had a, a 1,004 that participated in this survey. 38% are comfortable or very comfortable sharing their spiritual beliefs on social media. 36% are either not comfortable or don't use social media. So, um, so there, every, everybody's kind of split on that, and uh, that's that's something that's of a lot of interest to me. Just how much people uh, share and how they share on social media. But it, it indicates that most people would rather discuss their beliefs one-on-one -on -one or in a small group. Uh, so very interesting, very interesting survey here. We'll have a link to that story as well. And you can even go to Lifeway Research. We'll share a link to that to see the survey PDF itself, and you can see even stronger breakdowns. Yeah, there's a lot more information in that full breakdown other than just a, you know, the story uh, that was so well-written by our good friend Bob Smetana. All right, now, Amy, moving on, we've got an interview this week with a church planner who is headed out to Mesa, Arizona. He's part of the Sin City Initiative. His name's Whitney Clayton. He and his family moving from Kentucky out to Mesa, Arizona later this year and planning a church out there. So here's our interview with Whitney Clayton. Joining us this week on SBC This Week is Whitney Clayton. Whitney is a church planner headed out to East Mesa, Arizona, just on the east side of the Phoenix, uh, Arizona city, and a sin city for Nam, and, and he will be planting Livingstone Community Church. Uh, preview services start this fall in the fall of 16 with official services to launch in the uh, winter in January of 17 out there in East Mesa. Thanks for joining us, Whitney. Oh, thank you so much, Jonathan. Now, I know you're taking Allie and your three kids, and you guys are moving from uh, Kentucky out yes. to uh, Arizona, uh, going from mm -hmm. the, kind of the, the quote-unquote deep south, the, the Bible Belt area for the SBC, and going out there to a sin city out in Arizona. Uh, tell us just kind of what, what led you to this, you know, how God moved, and just your journey from Kentucky to Arizona. Yeah, so the way that it began is really I kept getting different experiences in ministry in the local church, and uh, basically, every one of these experiences seemed like it opened up a door to another experience, and with each one of these, all that, that it required for us was to say yes to God as He was moving us what seemed like one small step forward. And before long, we had covered a lot of ground, we realized. And uh, then one day, when we were in the middle of some, uh, some struggle and some uh, just feeling like we were out of place in ministry where we had arrived— I had a mentor who pointed out to me that it seemed like we felt out of place because God was preparing us for a new place, which would be church planting. And uh, that terrified my wife and I. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we had been saying no to people on church planting for a couple years previously. Uh, but this time it became hard to deny that with the trajectory that God had placed us on, where we had experienced ministry in every different area of the church, that uh, it only made sense that, that God was propelling us to a place where we would be responsible for starting all of the ministry of a church in a church plant. 
All right, now you have a sending church. Uh, the name of that church in Kentucky is? Florence Baptist at Mount Zion. Okay, and then you also have a partner church out in Arizona where you're going to be yes. planning. Yes, Redemption Gateway, yeah. Yeah, and then you have uh, a several other churches that are kind of sponsoring everything and, and helping out with that along with NAM And my church, First Baptist Mount Juliet, happens to yes, be indeed. one of those. That's how we kind of got hooked up. I met you and your wife, Allie, and your three kids. Uh, you spoke at my church this past week when we were recording this. Apparently, you have family in the area here in the, the Mount Juliet Nashville area as well. Yes, yes, I do. I, I Actually, my first position in ministry was an internship at a church in Nashville. And uh, so that's how we got together. Now, you are going out there. Tell us just about Livingstone, what you're looking to start, and you know how that ties into the, the SEND initiative uh, with NAM. Uh, we are looking to start a sort of church multiplication movement. Um, and really, that sounds fancy, but what it ultimately means is that we are looking to make disciples who will make more disciples. And if you're making disciples, then there's no way that you will avoid planting a church. If you are, you, you can try to build a church and, and not make disciples along the path. You can just reshuffle sheep from one place to another, which happens. But I think that for most church planters, the vision, the goal is that we would go and make disciples and create a groundswell movement that required more leaders to step in and shepherd those disciples, even as more disciples were being sent. And so that's exactly what our vision is. Uh, so we've we've actually been on the ground in Phoenix, and the whole uh, the whole focus that we that we've had for the last for the last uh, seven or eight months has been on building relationships with non-believers for the purpose of the gospel, so that we can begin building a core team there. And uh, praise be to God, that's exactly what we've seen happen. Uh, we've seen we've seen a couple of people that were on the fence, nominal believers that have come to faith in Christ and uh, to a real, living, active faith. We've seen some people that were riding the fence of uh, getting involved in a local church or just continuing to quote unquote live their faith, uh, you know, privately. <laughs> We've seen them get excited about the opportunity that uh, the local church would afford and uh, for their children what the local church would afford for their personal walk. And so we've seen uh, both from those two groups primarily now, we've got a core team of uh, about six families and uh, then a whole range of relationships with people within our community that uh, we've got them on a path uh, with it, within relationships, slowly moving them towards either a relationship with Christ or a greater depth and uh, reliance upon Christ in their life. Now, obviously, East Mesa, Arizona, Florence, Kentucky, two different yeah. places. Some <laughs> of the challenges and opportunities from, from coming from the Deep South to the West. Oh, there are all kinds. I, it, it's learning a new culture. You know, the, the, I'll, I'll speak to a couple of different specific instances, but the primary difference is just the, uh, the lack of familiarity with church in general and with religion in general, where, uh, you know, in, in the South, in the Bible Belt, when, when you meet somebody, probably within three questions of meeting them, you could ask them, hey, do you attend church? Uh, more specifically, you could probably say, where do you attend church? And you'll, you'll hit on something that you guys have in common. Uh, when you're out West, uh, man, you know, the, most of the people that I meet, you know, nine out of 10 people in, in Phoenix have zero affiliation to any religious body. Um, and then you're, you're looking at the, the largest group has, uh, their, the largest religious group out there is the Mormon faith. And so 
Uh, there's such a different understanding of church where when I, I've heard it said out there that inviting someone to church out there is like somebody inviting you to bingo. It's like you, you have no, they have no frame of reference or pre-prepared answer for the question, do you want to go with me to church? Because no one's ever asked them that before. And so uh, we deal with people who they didn't go to church, their parents didn't go to church, and their grandparents didn't go to church. And far, far worse than, than f- meeting people with anger or angst towards the church, most people are just completely apathetic towards the church and so have uh, no desire or understanding of why we would want to be a part of a church. And so uh, the, that makes perfect sense when you're out there because what they need is Christ. Yeah, they need Christ far more than they need another local church sitting around them. We talked a little bit about the Sin City Initiative and, and yeah. NAM and everything with that. Now, how, how does that interplay with you planning a church in a Sin City? Uh, a couple of different ways. First of all, the, the way that we discovered the the need that Phoenix has is because of the Sin City Initiative, where when my wife and I began praying about where should we plant, should we plant here in our city in northern Kentucky? Uh, the, the answer was uh, that, we've, that we felt led to was we should plant wherever there's greatest need. And so uh, North American Mission Board has already done the hard legwork of discovering the areas of greatest need within the United States. And so when we began looking over that and praying over that, uh, it, it immediately provided a pathway that narrowed some of our choices. And far more importantly, the narrowing choices, it opened our eyes to opportunities that I'm unfamiliar with because I've only lived in Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and Kentucky. And so it helped open my eyes. So that's the first way that NAM was so helpful is uh, helping me to see the needs that were present within our country uh, and yet farther than where I had been. And the, the next way is that there's uh, just a very focused, uh, focused effort to build community among church planters within those sin cities. And so I've been a part of a Multiply Gathering, which is just a group that I've met with uh, seven other church planters once a month for uh, the last eight months. And so it's built a friendship base, a camaraderie, and a community for me to be a part of. Uh, There's also great resources in terms of financial support that our church desperately needs that is available to us because we're in one of the send cities. And so there are all kinds of benefits that come from being a part of it. But what I see, first of all, is that they they open your eyes and they, they help you see the needs that are all around the country. And then secondly, they resource you incredibly well when you're in that city because there is a heightened focus on them. So that's that side of the Sin City Initiative, you know, the, the actual being on that end. What about those churches back home, like my church, like uh, your sending church? How, what are the opportunities that they have to get involved in not just what you're doing, maybe, but any planner out there in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, I, I always say that there are three main ways that, that you can get involved with a church plant and that church plants need for your church to get involved. Uh, the first way is that you can pray, and you should be praying. And the, this is the beautiful thing about the Sin Cities Initiative. Uh, if you want to ma- take a very simple but important step forward with your church, helping them connect to church planters, go to the Sin Cities uh, website at NAM and uh, at NAM's website, and you can look at the cities. You can find uh, specific planters that you should be praying for. You can find all the statistics that you can share with your people that will help them realize, you know, that uh, in in 
you know, if you're in North Carolina, there's one there's one evangelical church for every 1,000 people. In my city, in Phoenix, there's there's one evangelical church for every 20,000 people. And so that's an important thing that will help your people know what to pray for. So prayer is one of the first ways that I recommend. Secondly, uh, provide. You know, I, I, I don't know if you're in a relationship with a church planter right now or how kind they're being to you, how open they're being with you, but every church plant needs money. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you are leading a church, find a church planter, and I promise you, even if he doesn't say it, he needs money. And so providing is a huge way that churches can help with, the co- with spreading the gospel through church plants in all of our sin cities. And, um, and then partnering. Uh, I mean, participating. That, that's the, the final way, participating. That's what we call it. We, uh, we invite churches to send mission teams to come and to help us spread the gospel because uh, there is so much work that can get done when 15 people, 9 people, 11 people uh, come for a full week where they don't have to work. They're, they're available you know, 12 hours per day to knock on doors, to share the gospel, to pass out flyers, to do mission projects. And my little core team of six families, it would take us six months to accomplish what one mission team can in a week. And so it is an unbelievable uh, blessing to a church plant for you to say, hey, we've been praying for you. We know you need our money, but we also want to come and we want to serve alongside of you. So praying, providing, and participating are ways that every church plant desperately needs help from established churches. Now, if we have a listener who maybe wants to get in touch with you or you know, help out with what's going on at Livingstone out there in East Mesa, Arizona, how would they do that? Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a couple of things. One, you can, you can just email me directly. It's uh, Whitney at livingstonecc.org. Uh, that's my email address. You know, I don't have, I'm not an important enough pastor yet that I need to filter who's emailing me. So yeah, go ahead. Just email me whenever. Uh, you, you can connect uh, by going to our website where it'll actually have links to our Twitter, our Facebook. So our website is, li- is livingstonecc.org. So that's a great place where you can go check out what we've got there, what our vision is, and uh, you can find mo- many different ways to connect with us through that. Yeah, and we'll be out there next uh, summer. A lot of us will be who listen to this yes. for the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in Phoenix out there in June. So just right down the road from where you'll be. Uh, oh yeah. How far? How far will we be from you know kind of where you're landing? Well, I I admit I'm new to the city, new to 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 what's going on. So I'm not completely familiar with all that will go on with the crossover event in Phoenix. But what I I can tell you that we are on the edge of civilization in in an area that's still being built, very new community. And so for us, we're about 25 minutes out of downtown Phoenix. Easy ride, um, but we're excited about crossover and the the opportunity that it affords us to have so much of a greater gospel presence and capacity for a week. Because again, you can't overestimate the power that a group of people coming solely focused on one task for a period of time, even if it's only a week or two weeks, uh, you can make incredible impacts that way. All right. Now, I know we are recording this this today, and this kind of goes to the something we've been talking about here on the podcast for the last few months, but today you were at the Ark. Yes. You visited the Ark in northern Kentucky. 
Yes. I, so you're the first person I've talked to since the Ark has opened who has actually been to the Ark. So we need to know, we need an update on the Ark. Okay, so the, so the Ark has been built. Uh, it is gorgeous. Uh, the, the reality is, as I was walking around, I, I kept being in awe, not so much of the, the, the Ark from a biblical perspective, but the physical thing that was built around me was amazing. Um, and so I, I tell you, if you're, if you're uh, looking for something to do with, with your church, it, it would be a fun event to take people there and to check it out, to see, uh, to, to read everything. And it gives you a great opportunity to disciple your, your people uh, the, and, and to bolster their faith because there's a lot of apologetic material. Um, but yeah, man, there's no getting around the fact that there is one stinking huge boat built in the middle of a cornfield in Kentucky. So it's pretty sweet. All right. We'll see. See, there we go. <laughs> so ARC people, we were talking about your place. Send us free tickets. Yes. Um, so uh, <laughs> They have really good hamburgers. Oh, really? Yes. Well, you know, the, no more cows in the ARC now. <laughs> Yeah. So, well, they didn't make it. Go. Well, Whitney, we appreciate it. Thank you again for joining us, man. And best, uh, all the best out there in Mesa, Arizona. We uh, can't wait to see you uh, maybe next year at the SBC annual meeting and the crossover, everything that'll be going on out there in Phoenix, man. Thanks a lot. And uh, again, once again, folks, if you're interested in getting in touch with uh, Whitney, it's uh, livingstonecc.org and uh, his email address, Whitney at livingstonecc.org. And you can get in touch with them there. And if you're interested in maybe another Sin City uh, initiative or another church and connecting with another planner, check all of that out at over at NAM's website as well. All the links to this will be on the website at sbcthisweek.com. Thanks again, Whitney. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. All right. Thanks for that, Jonathan. Nice to have an interview with someone who's actually been to the Ark. Yes. Were you feeling jealous? Were you jealous? Uh, I don't know about that, but it was kind of neat. So he did confirm that that thing is big. Right. We, well, you we know, have, the, me- we have confirmed the measurements. That. Yes, they're right. in the Bible. You know, yes, I am. Measurements are in Genesis. Yes. The answers are in Genesis. They are. They are indeed. Yes. So we kind of knew that it was big. It had to hold a lot of animals. Yeah, but it's one thing to read it and then think, okay, that's big. It's another to be there and see how absolutely massive it is. Right. And I can't As imagine. Whitley stated, it is big. So. There Very we go. interesting. One of these days, Amy. One of these days we'll get there. All right. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor this week, Nine Marks at Southeastern, the upcoming conference, September the 30th and October the 1st, over in Wake Forest, uh, uh, North Carolina. Over in Wake Forest, North Carolina, if you're in the area or if you just want to go and, and hear about discipleship in the conference this year, uh, check that out at ninemarksse.org. All right. That'll move us on to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Well, I've been sticking with a theme for the last few weeks. I did uh, at the uh, Republican National Convention, the Democratic National Convention, uh, 20 years ago. And uh, right around this time, there were a number of Southern Baptists spending some time in Atlanta. Do you remember why? What's going on in Atlanta 20 years ago? Uh, That would have been the Olympics, 1996. Yes. Richard Jewell. Yes. 19... Oh, that's not the thing you should remember about the Olympics. How about that? Is that better? Carrie Strug Strug is better. Richard Jewell is an innocent man. Was Carrie Strug in 96? 
I got to look that Carrie up. Carrie Strug was in 96. I remember exactly where I was when that happened. But Richard Jewell was an innocent man and a, a good man that His went through a difficult... was ruined. That's right. That's right. So the Olympics were being hosted in Atlanta, and there were a lot of uh, Southern Baptists that had some level of involvement. Obviously, there was a huge evangelistic effort. There was a Southern Baptist organization, Atlanta International Ministries 96, uh, that had 790 professions of faith from ministry sites within the Olympic ring. So they offered free water. They, you know, all these different things had um, witnessing tools. It was the home mission board at that time uh, was very involved. So there was a lot of, of opportunities for outreach and evangelism. Then there was a very interesting, so I'm, I'm going to share this one issue of Baptist Press that kind of takes a few different, um, a few different, Places So there was a group of uh, Christian hairstylists that were given um, a contract to provide uh, hair services at the Olympic Village. So, you have, for, so uh, outside the Olympic Village, you have these ministries that are going on. But then you have this group of hairstylists, and it was a group of Christians that were awarded the contract. And uh, there was a member of Atkinson Road Baptist Church who... Uh, her job is uh, her job was to be a scissor mechanic. Did you even know that was a job? Uh, yeah, a mechanic on a scissor lift, right? No, no mechanic Wait, on like like Fisker scissors. Yes. Wow. That was her job was to keep the scissors in top working order. Hmm. And so they got the bid. They had an Olympic Village salon, gave an average of four hundred haircuts a day. They were completely free, and she. Uh, sharpened scissors, and shared the gospel with people. So she shared them with uh, people from all over the world. She was witnessing. So there was work being done outside the Olympic Village, work being done inside the Olympic Village. And then the last story that was very interesting, um, I did not know this. Michael Johnson, first man to win gold medals Mm -hmm. in 200 and 400 meter sprints. He graduated from Baylor University. Yes. I did not realize that. Uh, I'm glad that you realized that. But he gave, uh, his coach was um, a member of First Baptist Church, Waco. And so there was this kind of story about that. So three stories about uh, the Olympics and sort of the impact. Uh, We are heading into that now. It's actually already kicked off with your favorite sport, soccer. Mm -hmm. Watching it right Uh, now as we record. Yes, but the gymnastics kicks off this weekend. That's when I'm going to start having fun. Big stories coming and, out of the gymnastics thing. I don't know if you saw that today. Yes, I've been. I have been tracking that. That's a, a big story for USA gymnastics, but doesn't really. It, it, it's not connected with the team that's down at the Olympics right now. But definitely a big story for USA gymnastics. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll start watching that and swimming. I like track. Other other things uh, like that. This is something that I, I would be interested to see if any, if we do have any groups that have gone down from Brazil, I mean, that have gone down to Brazil, because uh, I seem to remember, I want to say it was 2004, we had uh, some friends at Southern Seminary who went to Athens hmm. uh, as part of an outreach group yeah. uh, to do evangelism with athletes. Well, WMU used to send a group every year, or every time, at every Olympics. Yeah. So I'm sure there is a group down there. We'll have to watch for some stories. I also thought I saw that Baptist Press had a reporter down there covering uh, for them. 
Right, right. But I get, I'm sure there are some athletes down there. So we'll be watching for some stories coming out of the Olympics. But I wanted to just bring up that uh, Atlanta was 20 years ago. We did have some connections there. We did make impacts for the kingdom there. And it all happened around this week in SBC history. Very cool. I'm excited about the Olympics. I know you are too. Um, yes. Just because maybe for two weeks we don't have to hear politics talked about. Yes, we need a break. We can talk about Olympics and faith. Yes. Right. So you tie in that with the life of research. You see how I did that? Yes. All right. Now yes. that's going to move us on to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? Well, it's about Olympics and faith. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a new book that has just been released uh, a couple of days ago. It's by, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. It's a, a platform, a 10-meter platform diver, David uh, Budia. Budaya. David Budaya. Oh, is it? Okay. David Budaya, someone who went after the gold medal uh, twice, but the first time, first Olympics he went to, didn't win a single medal. And then four years later, he received both gold and bronze. So the story is kind of the uh, what happened in, all, in the, the intervening years. But it was co-written with uh, Tim Ellsworth, who is uh, my counterpart, the, the communications director at Union University. That's right, yeah, so, right down the road um, here. Yes, yeah, so someone who uh, does great work in uh, the SBC world. And so I think, I think that's kind of neat. So I'm really looking forward to reading this story. All right, well, very cool. Well, my resource of the week is the Rio 2016 app from NBC Sports. Nice. So that, nice. That's I my just resource. put that on my phone. So the, there's a couple of Olympic apps out there, and mm-hmm. I would suggest the – I looked at them today to pick out mm-hmm. mine and to see which one is the best. There's the official Olympic app, which is absolutely garbage. Um, it, it just doesn't give you what you want. So go with the Rio 2016 app, uh, the NBC Olympics. So if you just go into your app store and search for NBC Olympics, use that one. Uh, and it, you can get all the information, highlights, everything, because they've got all the videos and everything that we'll be watching here in the States. So yes. uh, put your login information for your cable provider, and you can watch stuff on the go. NBC does such a great job with their Olympic they coverage. They do a great and, job uh, with that. So uh, adding new features uh, like the app and, and other things are, are just adding to that excellence. All right. Well, that's our resources of the week. Thanks again to Whitney Clayton for being on the show this week and taking some time to to talk to us about church planning out in Mesa, Arizona, and everything going on with the Sin City Initiative out there in Phoenix. Can't wait to see him next year whenever we're down there for the SBC annual meeting and the crossover events. Proud to partner with him at my home church at First Baptist Mount Juliet and also for being our first guest to visit the Ark and, and actually talk to us about 30 minutes after he got home from the Ark. So that was kind of neat. So Very thanks exciting. Again, Whitney. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Amy, uh, light that torch. Let it burn a fortnight. Hey, what's your prediction? Who's going to be the one? Is it going to be Pele? Uh, if, if it's not, something's wrong. It's got to be him. It has I mean, to be it's him. In, it's in Rio, in Brazil. I mean, it's got to be, to be Pele. Pele. Got to be has Pele, to be. right? All right, we'll see. We'll see next week. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody else. I mean, the Muhammad Ali in 96, that was a little surprising just because he yeah. wasn't as public. Pele has had some right. illness issues. I know yeah. one person it won't be, and it's Diego Maradona. So, um, okay. Yeah. So he's an Argentinian, Brazil, Argentine. They don't get along. All right. So he's okay. Kind of like the Pele of Argentina. People in Brazil are hating me for even calling him that, but probably. Looking forward to it. We'll see if our prediction was true. All right. Well, we will see, and we will see you next week. See you next week.